Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and high and how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that passes knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. Great God and Father, we thank you as we come before you. We pray to one who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Father, our prayer this evening is that you would speak to us by your word and transform us more into the likeness of Christ, and you can do that and so much more. Father, please be at work. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this is fairly obviously a prayer for power. Paul is uh, here uh, praying for power for uh, uh, Christians, for us to know various things, Uh, and in verse 20, he's asking according to God's power. It's a prayer for power, Uh, and the reason being is that actually to live the Christian life is quite hard work. Uh, And some of you may have found that already. It's quite hard work. It takes God's power to live the Christian life. Now the good news here in this passage is the Lord has limitless resources of power. He never runs out. Uh, And so the great encouragement is just ask. Ask the Lord for his power to understand more of his love so that you can live for him. Don't often you get limitless resources of power. Uh, uh, We've been on holiday for a week uh, up in the Peak District, very lovely, very beautiful. And um, uh, yesterday uh, we got back into the car and thought, oh, rats forgot to fill up with petrol when we were in the, the nearby town. But it's okay because uh, to the motorway, ah, what is it, 20 miles maximum, and then there'll be a service station. Um, So what's on the clock? 35 miles. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, Do you not think we should fill up? It's fine. And uh, and then you sort of drive through these back lanes. We're bound to pass, you know, you're going to pass some petrol station, but then you realize, no, it's the Peak District. Uh, and everywhere you drive through is called something Dale, Two Dales, One Dale, Darley Dale, Deep Dale, High Dale, Monk's Dale, Miller's Dale. They're all Dales, whatever. Um, and they all consist of about six houses, and that's it. Uh, and so as we drove, and um, the M1 was getting closer, uh, and the tank was ticking away, and, of course, they just get to the point where you get into single figures and you start to feel a little bit nervous and your confidence goes uh, a little bit at that. And um, we're going to run out of power. No, 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 no. I'm sure before we get there's a sort of significant town, we're going to run out. I told you we should fill up. You did say we should fill up. You did. <laughs> I acknowledge that. Uh, and I'm conversing with my wife and uh, praying simultaneously. <laughs> 
Lord, it's not the most significant prayer that any of your people will pray today, but it would help me an awful lot if we could just find some petrol. Um, and praise the Lord, for there is co-op in Alfreton. <laughs> Where to, down to whatever it was, some single-figure number. Ah, there it is. There it is. Uh, we don't have limitless resources, and when you get close to running out, you just feel a little bit nervous. The Lord doesn't run out. He wants us to know that he has limitless resources. We just need to ask him for his power, to understand his love, and then we can live for him. But many of us have the experience or or, or know in our hearts the sensation, I can't do this, Lord. I can't live for you. I'm not strong enough. Yeah, yeah, look, just ask me for the strength you need, the power, my power. There's no no lack of resources. It's a bit like plugging the kettle into the whole of the national grid. That's you. You can plug yourself into the Lord's resources and turn it on and the whole thing flies off into space. I don't know what would happen. That probably won't happen, will it? Um, But there's no shortage of power. We're at a pivot in this letter. Paul writes to the Ephesians, chapters 1 to 3, have been all about what the Lord has done. Chapters 4 to 6, here's how you live it out. And let me just show you some obvious things. You, you could be sat here this evening thinking, oh, I don't know, 429. Chapter 429, flick over the page. Paul is going to say, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs. And you can sit here and think, I'm never going to do that. Uh, my tongue runs away. No, no, just ask the Lord for his power so you understand his love, so you can live his way. Or I don't know, you might, um, chapter 5, verse 3, Paul will say, look, among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. I'm never going to do that. I can't live that way. And he says, just ask me for my power so that you understand my love, so that you can live the way I want you to. Or you might be married and think, well, chapter 5, verse 23, wives submit your husbands as, as to the Lord. Or, or chapter 5, verse 25, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the Lord. You think, well, I certainly didn't do that today. Um, and I don't manage it very often. Well, just ask the Lord for his power so that you better understand his love, so that you can live this way. That's the prayer of chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. He, he can provide all we need for life and godliness in this world. So just ask him for it. If you're joining us then, we've been saying the last few weeks, this letter of uh, Ephesians, uh, the living God reveals his plan for the whole of history. It is chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, to, to unite all things under Jesus Christ. That's the direction that the whole of history is moving in. And uh, he's about that task, Jew, Gentile, people from every tribe and nation being united under Jesus Christ. He's doing that work. Uh, and, and as a demonstration of that, there's the church. The church here and now is the, the model of Jesus creating unity. Because we all come and we're all forgiven on the same basis. And so we are, chapter 2, verse 22, a temple being, um, being built up. The dwelling place of the Lord, revealing to the Lord what God is doing. Or um, as you saw last week, chapter 3, verse 10. The church 
It's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. So chapters 1 to 3, look, here's what the Lord has done and is doing in creating unity amongst all sorts of peoples under Jesus Christ. Chapters 4 to 6, here's how you live then, knowing that, being a Christian believer. Here at the pivot of those chapters, of that intersection, you need to pray for God's power. That you understand what he has done and how much he loves you in order that you might live this way. So here we're at the pivot between the two sections here. And so again, look where we're going to go to next week is, is chapter 4, verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. It sounds very unremarkable, but actually it's quite hard to bear with one another, even in a church, to be patient with one another, because you lot are really irritating. And so am I, so am I, I'm included too. But we annoy one another, we misread one another, we are not certain about that. We... Um, what did Sav say earlier? Some people are boring. Some people are unhelpful. Big shout out to the boring and unhelpful. Um, we love you too. We love you too. Ignore what he says. Um, but, you know, but sometimes we find some people a bit awkward. Actually, it takes the power of God to live this way. So really, this whole prayer is uh, it's going to end up pretty much, not quite, but in verse 19. It's a prayer for power to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. You need God's power to understand his love so that you can become mature, live as God wants you to. That's the logic of the prayer, okay? So really, it is all one prayer, I think, uh, the whole section. It's not, there are two main petitions here. Uh, they're not parallel or, or equal. It's a bit like steps. We're climbing steps. We get to one point, and then we move on. And when you get to the top of the steps, if we understand this rightly, we will say in verse 21, God be glorified. That's what happens when we get to the top of the steps. Is say, God be glorified. But there are a few steps uh, to get there. So um, I don't know what's happened to the outline, but uh, let me give it to you. The two steps of this, we need power to be rooted in love, verses 16 and 17. Power to grasp Christ's love, verses 18 and 19. Oh, there we go. And therefore, we're going to praise God for his limitless power. Okay? Power to be rooted in love, 16 and 17. Power to grasp Christ's love. Those are two steps we're climbing. And the outcome is that we praise God for his limitless power. Let's work through this then. Um, first of all, verses 16 and 17, Paul prays that Christians may have power to be rooted in love. Verse 14, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. For what reason? Well, chapters 1 to 3, given everything I've told you in chapters 1 to 3. It's so very wonderful. I'm going to pray that you understand it. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, there's no limit here. He's not going to run out. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And therefore I pray that you be rooted and established in love. Let me briefly show you how this works grammatically. 
uh, you get these parallel statements. Uh, Paul prays for power. With God, we're strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's completely parallel, synonymous with Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Those two things are equivalent. There's no so that in the original text. Someone's just sort of smuggled that in. So those are two parallel things that um, the spirit would dwell in our inner being common phrase that Paul uses, 2 Corinthians 4, your inner being is being transformed day by day from one degree of glory to another. Um, That's precisely the same as that Christ would dwell in your hearts by faith. The purpose or the outcome is that you may be rooted and established in love. So I pray that the Spirit changes your inner being, Christ dwells in your heart, same thing, outcome you're rooted and established in love that's how it works grammatically so what well they're very interesting metaphors here paul is writing we saw this last time chapter 3 verse 13 to a people who are discouraged verse 13 i ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you which are your glory And I think we mentioned this before, but in his prayers, and certainly in Ephesians, Paul doesn't change that their circumstances will be altered. He doesn't pray that his circumstances, he's locked up in a prison, will be changed. He doesn't pray that the church would have more resources, more opportunities. He says, what I'm praying for you in your discouragement is that you're changed within And in particular, that God does a work in you so that you're rooted and established in Christ's love. Parallel metaphors. Rooted is agricultural. Established, architectural. Okay, but two ways of saying the same things. Rooted, established. That you're planted in love. Let me put it this way. I'm not a gardener of uh, uh, any competence whatsoever, but then nor are any of you if you live in central London, really. Um, or you certainly don't get to practice it. My father was a fantastic gardener. Uh, he really knew his stuff. Uh, I grew up in uh, rural Essex, uh, farmland, who are, uh, apart from it was Essex, and so no one did that. Um, but it was all farmland around, so sort of normal fare was for the fuller family to go off on a little walk, and uh, we'd walk through farmlands, and we'd come and uh, walk through a, um, a farm. Uh, you know, the farmyard, farmyard, that's the word I was after. Uh, a farmyard. And Dad knew all these farmers, because they were his clients, his customers. He sold them fuel. Anyway, so he'd see this farm, and um, we'd be walking through the farmyard, and I'd go, oh, look at that. Because he'd spotted an enormous pile of manure. So look at that, that'd be fantastic on the garden. And uh, so we'd go and knock on the farmer's door. Hello, Brian. Do you mind if uh, I get a few bags and, and take some of your nunu? That's what you always used to call it, manure. Um, no, John, you, you take it. Great, come on, Matt, let's go and get some bags. And fill up. Can you imagine as a 12-year-old how much I love that? <laughs> Great, Dad, so we've gone for a walk and now I'm going to end up shoveling... Manure. Great. Um, but this would happen, you know, not infrequently, uh, and we'd load the car up, I mean, load the car up, uh, with um, plastic sacks of manure and, and take it back to the garden. But then, ah, oh, the magic soil was spread. See, I'm not much of a gardener, but I do know 
that you've got to have the right soil for stuff to grow in. Sandy soil, not good for much. Chalky soil, not good for much. Other soil is really good. Um, that's sort of manure, fresh, fragrant manure. Oh, you turn that in, fantastic. You grow anything, all sorts of things. And so right at our house, the front garden was just full and full of flowers. And uh, people would drive past our road, slow down and take photos of my dad's garden bit odd. Um, but it was very impressive, all sorts of flowers with lots of different names. Um, <laughs> and in the back garden, again, flowers, and it's just, you know, vast patch for growing vegetables, so we had to play this very tedious game, game, what should we call it again? Very tedious thing, but every, particularly Sunday lunch, every Sunday lunch would be, where the potatoes come from? The garden, Dad. And what about the carrots? The garden, Dad. And what about the Brussels sprouts? The garden, Dad. And what about the parsnips? Yeah, it's all come from the garden, Dad. It's always all come from the garden. He was very pleased with himself. Because if you have the right soil, things will grow really well. And Paul is here saying, to grow, you have to be planted, you have to be rooted in the soil of God's love. I pray that you're rooted and established in love and then you'll flourish. Well, what would the contrast be? If Paul is praying, look, I I pray that God's power be at work in your inner being by the Spirit, that, that Christ will be at work within you so that you're rooted and established in the soil of God's love. What would be the alternative? What would be going wrong? Well, perhaps as a Christian or not, you could be rooted in the soil of legalism. If if I perform, God will like me. If I carry out certain practices, he'll like me. I have to achieve in order for God to love me. Now, that's never good soil. You'll never be a healthy Christian thinking in those terms. Maybe the bad soil of, I don't know, universalism. God God accepts everyone, doesn't matter what they've done, just God accepts people, uh, and God lets everyone into heaven, whatever their beliefs. Problem is, if you think that, you'll never be praising God for the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll never understand a love which left heaven, endured discrimination, hatred from people, that he'd made, endured the cross, endured hell for you and me. You'll never understand the depth of God's love. God demonstrates his love for us in this. It's why we were sinners, Christ died for us, while we were his enemies. That's that's how he demonstrates his love. You never get that if if you just think, wow, everyone's all right, really. That would be bad soil. You'll never mature as a Christian if you think that. Maybe just apathy. You sort of chug through the motions never spend time thinking of what Christ has done for you. So therefore your soil starts off pretty well but dries out, becomes acidic or whatever the soil does when it goes wrong. Barren, dry. That wouldn't do it. Now Paul says, I'm praying that God's power would establish you, root you, 
in his love. That, that's how the whole of the Christian's life needs to have that as a sort of framework, paradigm around them. The Christian needs to think, how does God view me? He loves me. That, that's just a given in Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus Christ, he loves me. The, the Christian just has to have that clear. That has to be the soil in which you're planted. No ambiguity on that. You know, children do that silly thing, don't they? What's it with dandelions or daisies? Um, children, I mean, I'm allowed to say mostly girls, but anyway, some boys do that thing. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. This is the most ridiculous thing, because you take a daisy and you, whatever you want the outcome to be, it'll be that. You know, he, rip the whole thing out. He loves me. And, you know, you can always distort it. If you're a Christian, you need to sort of mentally play the, not that, never that. He's never that, does God love me? Or maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. Uh, He loves me, he never changes. He loves me, he doesn't change. He loves me, he doesn't change. He loves me, he doesn't change. How does God view me today? He loves me because he doesn't change. That's it. That's got to be the sign in which you're planted if you're to grow up to maturity as a Christian. You have to know that. Because upon the cross, Christ took your sin and punishment. He gave you his blessing, his reward. You cannot lose that. You have to be rooted in that soil. You have to be rooted and established in love. It's costly, it's undeserved love. But if you're going to grow to maturity, you have to be planted in that. Power to be rooted in love is the first thing. That's step one, and then he moves up another tier, another step. So the second thing is power to grasp Christ's love. Power to grasp Christ's love. Let's pick up the pace. Verse 18, uh, or halfway through verse 17. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, that's where we've got to thus far. Uh, Second thing, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, you can't do it on your own, to, or two things here, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and secondly, to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Two things, grasp and know. Grasp is a cognitive word. I have grasped quantum physics. I really haven't. I have grasped my seven times table. I'm not bad. Um, I've grasped things. I've, I've mentally conquered them. I've, I've understood them. That's to grasp. But to know... That's something else. And it is an extraordinary sentence, isn't it? Verse 19, I'm praying that you would know a love that surpasses knowledge. Well, just put that into a different context. It makes no sense. I pray that you'll know which buses get you home, but that knowledge is impossible to obtain. I, I, I pray you'll know everything you need to pass your exam but I'm afraid that knowledge is unobtainable. Oh. What does he mean? I'm praying that you know a love that surpasses knowledge. He's saying, it isn't enough as a Christian to cognitively understand God's love. You can verbally explain, perhaps, penal substitutionary atonement, what took place upon the cross. But that mental knowledge is great. Got to have it. It's got to, but that's step one. And beyond that, Paul says, I'm praying for God's power that you would know what goes beyond knowledge. Or that you would have an emotional understanding and 
experiential understanding. Many of you have looked at 1 Peter this term, or 1 Peter 1, that you'll be filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy sort of understanding. I don't just understand the truths of what Christ has done. I think of them, I dwell upon them, and I'm filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. I struck the uh, scholar Don Carson in his commentary on this. He, he makes the comparison in chapter 5, verse 18. Just flick over. Chapter 5, verse 18. He had a very interesting comparison there. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. That's a very strange comparison, isn't it? Don't get giddy, have a high that comes from alcohol, but by contrast, have an emotional experience in some sense, not defining it carefully, but in some sense comparable to that by the Spirit, which is an understanding of God's love. I want you to know that, he says. Look, I'm certainly not advocating uh, that we should indulge silly experiences that are divorced from Scripture or what the Scriptures expect. But nor do we want to reduce Christian living to a merely intellectual exercise. Paul says, I want you to know beyond knowledge. Let me try and put it in these terms. I, uh, I, I grew up in a, a very happy family in so many ways. Uh, privilege. I, I don't think I ever really doubted my parents' love for me. Even when they disciplined me, I guess I probably knew somewhere that it was for my good. Um, but there are moments that sort of stand out in my memory where, ah, oh, you do love me. Sort of, I knew it, but all of a sudden you see it that much more clearly. I think of uh, when I was a university student, I spent one summer in Nicaragua, um, got very sick, came down with malaria, I went out 13 stone 5, came back 9 stone 5, a little gaunt, uh, and pretty unwell, and then had um, a few weeks in the tropical disease hospital. Um, and I remember, you know, sort of drifting in and out of consciousness, realizing not everyone actually leaves on their two feet, uh, that place, you know, some, it's pretty serious at times. And, um, you know, mom and dad visiting, Tears, anxiety, thinking, oh, right, I'm an idiot 20-year-old. I am, not saying everyone else was, but I, I, I'm an idiot 20-year-old. I barely phone you. I'm hopeless at keeping in touch. I went overseas this summer, to, and he never wanted me to go. But you do still love me. Now, I knew that, but I sort of knew it in a different way, deeper way. I observed it, felt it. Paul is praying something like that. Power to grasp Christ's love, to know it, not just grasp it, to know it. The ultimate aim of the whole prayer in uh, chapter 3 is, uh, or the penultimate aim in one sense is verse 19. Here's where he's going all along. Here's the main purpose. To know this love that surpasses knowledge so that, so we've climbed two steps. Look, you've got to be rooted, power to be rooted and established in love, power to grasp and know emotionally God's love. Therefore, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. It just means to be mature as a Christian. Chapter 4, verse 13 puts it in very similar terms. 
until you reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Maturity. So you climb these two steps if you're going to be a mature Christian, if you're going to be able to live out the Christian life as he's going to describe it in chapters 4 to 6. Note, you can't do this on your own. Verse 18, this is together with all the Lord's holy people. You'll never be a mature Christian on your own. You cannot be. Like a, a, what's fire like? You could ask someone. Oh, look, I've got a match and a box. I was going to do it, but I get in trouble. Um, well, there's fire. Oh, okay, so it's all right, I guess. But you put that, I've got a whole box of matches and a lot of dry wood. What's fire like? Together, together you see something much more. I mean, I guess it's a bit like that. It's only with other Christians that you can understand God's love for you. They will teach you things. Others in this room, the, the boring and the whatever they were, um, the unhelpful, um, they will teach you things that you would not understand about the Lord's love for you on your own. It is together with all the saints because it is the church together that's being built into God's temple. It is the church together that displays his wisdom. Power. Power to be rooted in the love of Christ. Power to grasp and know emotionally Christ's love. And if we get that, well, we praise God for his limitless power. Verse 20, 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. To God be glory, verse 21. Why, verse 20? Because he's able to do immeasurably more than we all we ask or imagine according to his power at work within us. That's why we give him glory in this passage. So question, what is the largest number you can imagine. Infinity. Yeah, whatever, that's boring. That's not a, you know, that's a real number, a number with digits in it. I'm not not moving, and no one moves until we've got at least, everyone's got a number in their head. So do it mentally. Whatever that number is, God can do more. What is the most fun you can possibly imagine having. Think about it. God can give you more. What is the best possible future you can view yourself having? God can give you more. What's the best possible future for uh, this country, given the state of Brexit negotiations? Ah! Very happily, God can do more. How many people do you think will be gathered around the Lord Jesus in the new creation? There will be more than you imagine. How good do you think it will be in glory? Immeasurably better than anything you can ask or imagine for. More. That God, his power is at work within you. Ask God for his power so you understand the depths of his love cognitively, emotionally, and then you can be mature. Then you can live out what he's going to say in verses four to six. He can do more than we can possibly conceive of.
we were away. I watched this program last week I've never seen before and probably will never see again. But um, uh, we, I turned on the TV and was waiting for the rest of the family to join me. And as you, sometimes you know, oh, what's this? Oh, and you sort of vaguely get into it. It was, has anyone watched DIY SOS? I now observe that this has been through about 20 series. It's been on telly for years and has completely passed me by, which is, you know, fine. Um, and it, what is it? It's a home improvement program. Oh, for goodness sake, it could be less interested. Uh, DIY just makes me feel inferior. Um, not don't want to watch any of this, but all of a sudden I was just sort of drawn into this thing. It was about the Pollard family. And uh, mum, dad, and uh, three kids, all in their 20s, all living at, or two of them living at home. The youngest kid, Ryan, aged 18, and had a blood clot on his brain. And um, it completely paralyzed him. Uh, he was left in a wheelchair, unable to control his breathing, unable to control his swallowing, unable to speak. So he was in a wheelchair, m- much like Stephen Hawking, okay? He had a computerized voice and could sort of just with one finger sort of tap away some things to, uh, to speak. Uh, it happened when he was 18. He was now 23. For five years, he'd been at hospital in Gloucester. His parents and two siblings lived in Bristol. They couldn't bring him home because they just didn't have the facilities to cope with him at home. He had to have full-time care uh, and all sorts of, you know, chronically, chronically ill. He had um, a nurse with him 24-7, and he would never come home. So for for five years, the family had been trudging 50 miles up the motorway and back, Bristol to Gloucester, Bristol and Gloucester, mum six days a week, the others when they could. Just terrible. And then DIY SOS heard of their scenario, and they said, oh, we'll make your home fit for purpose so that Ryan can come home. Can you do that? Yes, we can. And uh, it was actually very impressive. And then, then we sort of abandoned whatever we were going to watch and ended up watching this, uh, the whole hour of this thing. And it was just, you know, it was, quite, it was good tea, telly in one sense. 200 workmen descended upon their um, terrace house and utterly transformed it in nine days. Miraculous what workmen can do when they put their minds to it. Um, <laughs> nine days. They built an extension about half the size of this room. It is a vast extension on the back. And uh, can put a lift in so that um, Ryan's wheelchair uh, arrives down into his bedroom, which is you know this now brilliant with hospital bed going up and down, a massive winch to take him out of the bed or onto a sofa or into the wet room that they'd created. It's just fantastic. I mean, the before and after was crazy. I mean, the, the family, mum and dad walked in first of all when they'd done all the renovations, and uh, mum and dad were like, well, uh, what room's this? What room did this used to be? It was just so completely transformed. Amazing. The two siblings in their 20s, they still lived at home. Oh, why don't you go upstairs? Or what have you done upstairs? Well, we've remodeled your bedrooms, have you? Well, because of all this extension. All the other kids, these, you know, well, you're 20s now. You used to have your ensuite. You've got ensuite. Ooh. Um, and of course, the phrase, I can't believe it. I can't believe you've done this in nine days. And all the viewers are thinking, no, I can't believe the workmen have done it in nine days. <laughs> Wait, you know. Um, but, you know, 200, it's like positive locusts. I don't know what that means. They will go in and create. Like, um, I, can't, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Mum and dad are in tears. And then all the workmen are outside as Ryan arrives in his, uh, gets out of the, uh, the ambulance in his wheelchair. And he is sort of, you've got to imagine, he's like Stephen Hawking. He's sort of just about driving this thing along. And uh, he, he goes in and sees the lift and says, you know, it's all digitalized voice. It's a lift. That's amazing. I can't believe it. And he goes in. 
goes down into his bedroom. This is my bedroom, I can't believe it. There's a wet room, I can't believe it. And I guess, you know, partly it's just repeat, repeat on the thing. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And mum and dad are in tears, and the two 20-somethings upstairs, they're in tears. And, and Ryan, is scooting, just this little thing emerges. And all the workmen, 200 of them, most of them are in tears. The presenter, Nick Knowles. I'm looking to one or two people who, you know, you, 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 know, you clean his, you know. <laughs> He can't speak to camera because the whole thing is just so emotionally overwhelming. He's in tears. Our family's on the sofa. We're in tears. It's, it's, everyone's just in, in, in extraordinary thing. I can't believe they've done that. They've absolutely transformed this family's lives. I can't believe it. We thought you'd do something to help us, but this is amazing. We never would have imagined it would be like this. Yeah, of course. It's just a hint. The living God can do immeasurably more than all you ask or imagine. Whatever you daydream, he says, I can do more. So ask him. He is not short of power. Pray as Paul does that the Lord would give you his power so that you better understand his love. You can't miss that out. It is power to understand his love that enables you to love others, to live the Christian life as as you should do. You, You never do it if you miss out the middle part, understanding what Christ has done, how much he loves you, knowing that in your being. Oh, and then praise him. So let's begin to do it now. Let's begin to pray. That the Lord God, out of his limitless resources of power, would strengthen us, would give us a deeper knowledge in every sense, the fullest, richest sense of Christ's love, so that we might be mature, so that we may do chapters four to six, so that we may love others. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank and praise you that we can cry out to the one who is Father, from whom the very concept of fatherhood is derived, and ask that you, from your glorious riches, there is no limit to your resources. Your power cannot run out. Out of your glorious riches, you will be a work amongst us this evening and forthgoing so that we better understand Christ's love, so that the the whole of our lives are rooted, planted, fertilized by Christ's love. That that is the framework. When we look up and think of you, we know that you love us. Father, would we know that intellectually? Would we know that in our experience, in our daily walk, in our communion with you, so that we may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God, so that we may become mature, so that we may love others as you call us to do, so that we may be the church that demonstrates to a watching world how extraordinary you are in your love for us in Jesus Christ. And Father, please do that for your praise and your glory. Amen.